celebrate New Year's Eve and ring in 2020 with the perfect view at the Commonwealth Club's premier Embarcadero location. As thousands of spectators watch from below, you'll revel in rooftop views of the famous Embarcadero fireworks, indulgent cuisine, high-end spirits, lively entertainment, and the ultimate New Year's Eve experience. Our New Year's Eve party was ranked in the top 10 New Year's Eve parties in San Francisco. So visit our website and reserve your spot today. CommonwealthClub.org. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with us. If you're new to the program, uh, I do a show every Sunday night on KBCW, as well as weekly here at the Commonwealth Club with my co-host, John Zipper, who also hosts his own show here, Week to Week Political Roundtable Talk, and uh, he's one of the bosses, if you've seen him around. <laughs> um, Impressive. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the show is all about, uh, it's a conversation on social justice issues with an intersectional approach. So today we have a special guest. He's a Grammy Award-winning photographer, as well as the director of the amazing film that we're about to talk about. But not just the film, the subject of the film, Nobel Prize-winning novelist uh, Toni Morrison and so here with us is Timothy Greenfield Sanders, who's the director of the pieces uh, I Am. Timothy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I think a great place to start is to talk about when you met Tony and how that blossomed into a longtime friendship. I mean, over 30 years. I met Tony in 1981. I was a young photographer. I had a little studio in the East Village. And she uh, came into my studio smoking a pipe. I remember very well. Uh, and I, I remember particularly her confidence that, that as a photographer, you, you kind of read your subject and you're kind of trying to get them comfortable in front of the camera and all of that stuff. And Tony didn't need anything. She was completely sure of herself. And I remember that very well. And we became friends, you know, at that moment. Uh, and over the years, I then became kind of her photographer of choice, shooting portraits for her books and magazines. And she would kind of insist that I shoot it. And, and in a sense, she was a thread throughout my life, really. Uh, she she uh, came up with, with lunch in 2005 in my kitchen. We were, t we were doing a... a press for a, a the, the opera she had written the libretto for, Margaret Garner. And she, she had met all of these black divas, and she said, let's do a book on black divas. And that idea became a whole series I did on identity, starting with The Black List, which was a film on African-American talent that went on to nine different films, Latinos, out, trans, women, a, a whole series, inspired by Tony. So... You know, it's a big presence for me in my life, this person. Yeah. And I assume, not to take us on a down note right away, but I assume a big loss then with her passing this earlier this year. I think a great loss to the world you know, that that we uh, don't have Tony around anymore to kind of guide us, that we had her 
vision and her incredible brilliance uh, for so long, and many appreciated it, and uh, maybe some people will from this film appreciate it too. Well, speaking of uh, you know guidance, I mean, she was a, a voice. She had changed um, yeah, American literature. The, the canon of literature, there's just, it's so hard to articulate the weight of uh, this person, their accomplishment, what they mean to the world, really, to human beings. And so it must have been very difficult to take her large body of work and her accomplishments and then put that down into two hours. Um, I think you had mentioned in an interview somewhere that this this took four years? took about four and a half years, almost two and a half years of editing, uh, from the time that Tony agreed to, <laughs> in principle, to be the subject of a film, uh, raising the money, all of the things that you do to make a film. I think the hardest part was to kind of compress, really, this life, a life that deserves 10 hours, you know, that you could do a, an entire film on her years at Random House. That alone is such an accomplishment. Her her years at Princeton and and teaching, you know, extraordinary. Uh, forgetting just the novels and the the Nobel and all the other stuff that she did. So you know, how do you put all that together? Was uh, and keep it to to about two hours was to, it was challenging. Now, she didn't have an autobiography at, before you know the film, and so how did you get her to say yes to a film on my life? <coughs> Tony would not allow a biography. She never uh, wanted to write a, an autobiography. I heard recently from Paula Giddings, who's in the film, that they started to do an autobiography at one point, and a few weeks into it, Tony stopped it and just didn't want to do it. Um, she said that she didn't like her about the person that was coming through in this autobiography. And... I think perhaps that she understood film as different from a book and that she understood the power of film. And, and she also trusted me. I think she you know, knew me for so long. Uh, she, she, we joked earlier, she knew she would look good in the film. Uh, I had always done my best to make her look beautiful. Um, and I think, you know, if you've seen the film, I guess some of you have seen it, you know that she had a history in theater, in college, and she understood drama and, um, uh, you know, why she allowed this, I'm not sure, really. <laughs> <laughs> but she did. Luckily, she did. And she got to see the film uh, before she died. Assuming she would have agreed to it, how do you think this film might have been different if you had done it 20 years ago? Well, I think now was the perfect time to do it. You, you still had Tony kind of looking back at her life with tremendous wisdom and, and insight. And then you had the accomplishments up until her death, really. I mean, she's never stopped working. Um, and, you know, I just feel fortunate that she allowed us to do it when she did uh, with this perfect timing. And she she kind of enjoyed the sessions, you know. Her, her biggest concern when we started talking about the, the, what it really meant to do a film was how much it, time it would take away from her own work. And I assured her it wouldn't, that it was just a, several days of interviews, but then access, access to 
the people that would be in it, sure. you know, helping us uh, convince them. Uh, we had a, a long list of people. Was that easy to come up with that list? or? Well, you start you with a big list. And, and I brought the list to Tony, and she looked at it, and she took a red pencil out and con- <laughs> crossed out <laughs> most, the most of the pencil. names, yeah. which was a great thing, it turned out, because she kind of made us focus on key people. Mm-hmm. And um, as a filmmaker, I, I don't like to invite someone to sit for a film and then not use that interview. Sure. It's just unfair to them and their time. And there was one person in this film, Peter Sellers, who sat for it, who we pulled out only because it was a very easy way to pull seven minutes out of the film. Um, it's in the DVD, and it's a brilliant discussion of Shakespeare, to- Tony and Shakespeare by Peter Sellers. Uh, he had worked with her on Desdemona, the, the play, and it's just fascinating, but we, we yanked it. Speaking of uh, folks who are a part of the film, um, someone like Angela Davis, Oprah Winfrey, and right. I understand you, I mean, you can't yank Oprah Winfrey from... <laughs> um, but there were, and going back to that list, I mean, you know, talk about just how you put everyone together to tell her story, but also they're telling us what, you know, Tony meant to them and their body of work. And at the same time, you know, Tony narrating her own uh, film here or this documentary about her almost made you feel like you were reading a, one of her books anyway. You know, I've always... Uh, Tony, had, let me start that over. Tony had sat for The Blacklist and was extraordinary on camera. And I knew what a great storyteller she was herself, that if I just turned the camera on, essentially, Tony would guide us. And essentially, she did. Um, and that was kind of this direct-to-camera choice, where, where Tony looks at, the, at you and is talking to you. The other interviewees are all talking off-camera. And I, I hadn't seen that in a film before, but I did it here hoping it would work. Because if you're, if it doesn't work, you're stuck with this, you know. Um, but it worked beautifully because it made Tony feel like she was the center, and the others are kind of secondary, which is what I wanted. Um, you know, you you do an interview with some, someone like Angela Davis, you have an hour and a fifteen twenty minutes, so much material. Mm-hmm. How do you cut that down to the few bites that you end up using? No. So it's difficult. You save it for your Angela Davis film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and she deserves one for sure. My God. Now, especially at the beginning of this film, but it, it seems to be a theme that keeps cropping up, is her whole, both the way people reacted to her and what she wanted to cover, uh, you know, writing about black lives and not for, for as, she, as she would say, through, you know, the, the, the white gaze, the white male gaze. Right. Um, how much did she, I don't know, I mean, toward the, toward the end of her life, I mean, had she kind of started to see that, hey, she, I mean, her fans are everywhere, or was that still kind of a, a hurdle in, in the industry and among readers for her? I think it was always central to her self as a writer. That was That was a central theme for Tony, to be writing from a black viewpoint always yeah. and not caring about the white perspective. 
Um, she talks about the master narrative in the film, which was this sort of narrative that we all live by, which is very white-centric. Uh, the films we see and the books we read and all this stuff is very much guided in that direction. And she wanted to kind of, as she said, knock the little white man off your shoulder who's looking at you all the time and telling you what to do and critiquing you. And she said, once you've done that, you're kind of free as a writer. So she explains it beautifully. And, and you know, today we think, well, that's not so you know, radical. But this was a very radical thing when she did this. Very few writers were even thinking in that way. The idea of the white gaze was a radical idea. So, uh, you know, what Tony was, did 40, 50 years ago is still today extraordinarily uh, important. Yeah, your people in the, in the film are talking about how people would be appreciating her writing. Yeah, she's a great writer, or she's a really good writer, really smart. You know, she won't be a great writer though until she starts writing about white people or there's, writing for white people. Yeah, there's a New York Times review in 1983 of Sula in which the woman writer, the the critic, says how good she is. But until she starts writing about white people, that's when we'll see how really good she is. And it's and Paula uh, and uh, Farrah Griffin says it's like you know an Irish writer writing about Irish people. You would never say that to an Irish writer. Yes. But here, you know, you had permission. They just felt they had permission to say that. So it it was uh, it's a very important moment, I think. But you you see throughout the film the interviews with some of the great, uh, you know, uh, people, interviewers like Charlie Rose and Dick Cavett and Bill Moyers, all white men. Mm-hmm. And we have the great footage of Tony with them. And she is so again confident and kind of assured of who she is and her themes, uh, that it's just breathtaking to see, really. For me, at least, you know, and, and, uh, and my, my generation, I mean, knowing of, of Tony's work through, through school and reading it for, for education, what the film did for me was really understand um, the importance of her work and not looking at it from an academic perspective mm-hmm. and the importance of being a woman, being a black woman, being uh, someone who really stood up to even the inequalities one might face in the literary world. Like you could be, you could be a great, incredible writer, even someone who can articulate and, and put your thoughts down well, but that wasn't, what was going to make you immune to such discrimination. And I loved the way that she was able to, even in this, this film, talk to us about the discrimination, how she got through it, how she just really didn't care, uh, you know, and, and it wasn't writing for a particular group. Uh, and, and so I, being her friend and also being a part of this and hearing the intervie- interviews and those who contributed to this and what they meant to her – um, can we expand beyond the confidence in what you think really drove her to be so great and to stand up and to stand out and eventually becoming this person who will go down in, in our history who just changed us all? That's a very <laughs> loaded question. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, you, the, I think the easy way to maybe stated would be that she had a great support <clears throat> excuse me she had a lot of support growing up from her family and 
I think the talent was there. I mean, there's just, you're born with it in, in many cases, this tremendous talent. And Tony's, you look in the film, talks about her kind of working in the library and reading every book in the library and how important reading was to her family as well, that, that a couple of generations back, you weren't, you weren't allowed to read. You, were taught, you couldn't be taught to read as a black person in America and how that was a radical thing to her. So from her parents and grandparents, I think they instilled in her this imp- the, the value of literature. And, you know, in some ways, everything kind of came together that, that created Toni Morrison. I mean, I, I'm certainly not capable of explaining that, uh, how that happened, but I think we're just fortunate it did. <laughs> I'll I'll say that what was great and refreshing and what I picked up in the documentary was that uh, aside from being a you know one of the greatest writers in her history, um, she had this amazing ability to have a big vision, yeah. and that that vision, even if she was writing as a black woman or writing you know for her community. Uh, and not necessarily for the white gays or for the rest of the world, mm-hmm. was that every single human being could connect with what right. she was writing and that she didn't necessarily see this world in, in a very tunnel vision way, in which some of us uh, might do, mm-hmm. especially if you start racking up identities that continually oppress you. So right. that was kind of where I was getting at, was just hearing it over and over and over again, where... I mean, even being very motherly with with the uh, the writers that she was giving voice and a platform to as an editor, right? Um, and helping them achieve their goals. You know, I, I, you look at a book like The Bluest Eye, which resonates, of course, with African Americans, but I think all over the world it resonates because people who feel that they're an outsider. I know there's an audience in Japan for this book. There's an audience in Australia. There's an audience everywhere for Toni Morrison because she writes with kind of a grander vision that includes everyone, even though it's very specific. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's extraordinary that she had that vision, right. you know, when she started writing. She didn't publish in her first book until she was nearly 40 years old, um, she had a g- very important career at Random House as an editor, bringing a lot of uh, African-American writers into a very white building <laughs> uh, in New York um, and breaking down barriers uh, that, uh, you know, tremendously important, which she did. We've talked a couple times here and we mentioning about her incredible confidence. Yeah. Um, in the time that you've known her, those nearly four decades, I guess, um, did that ever waver, or was that just you know backbone, bedrock part of her? I think it was very backbone. Yes, I, I mean, I, I think she went through very difficult times. You know, her son died um, ten years ago. Uh, her house burned down. <laughs> you know, we all have tragedies. Tony had tragedies. But somehow she saw the bigger picture. Somehow she managed to pull herself through these times. Um, And I think she was also very smart that she was so private, that she had a very public presence, but she also kept her privacy and her very close group of friends. 
And I think that was helpful for her because it's terribly difficult being as famous uh, as someone like Toni Morrison. People who read her feel a connection to her and almost demand an intimacy with her um, in public. And um, I was very good friends with a rock musician, Lou Reed, who had that same kind of effect on people because he his music meant so much to them. Tony's books meant so much to, to her readers that it's terribly difficult to have that celebrity um, consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Speaking of you know, people just feeling connected to the the sheroes or people who inspire us who do these great things in our lives, I mean, for you, doing this this documentary with Tony and others who loved her and who inspired her, uh, did you uncover something that you didn't know about Tony? I didn't know that she made the greatest carrot cake in the world, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she she really did apparently. <laughs> Um, Paula, Paula talks about it in the film and everyone who's known Tony over the years talks about it. It was an amazing carrot cake. I have pretty much the recipe. Uh, it was delicious. I think she opens up the film saying she's she, an incredible she, baker. She talks about her... <laughs> she's very proud of it at one point and then it kind of, we connect it later with uh, when she was writing The Bluest Eye, she asked the secretarial pool and Paula was a secretary then to uh, if they would type this for her, she'd come to their apartment and make them the best carrot cake they ever had. And, and Paula says, in fact, she did. So, I mean, there's a side of Tony that's very much that, uh, a mother, you know, and kind mm-hmm. of a at-home person, but uh, skilled, you know. Well, when you're working on this project with her, did she let you be the artist creating the, the documentary or did she want to control or, you know, have a really strong influence on how it went besides crossing names off of lists? She was wonderful. She stayed out of it completely really? and trusted us to do it. I think, you know, she, she was busy also with her own work, but I think once Tony agreed to do it, she let me make the film. Yeah. And she, she, she turned, you know, we were at one point shooting and my editor, Johanna Giebelhaus was there and she took her arm and she said, you do good girl. <laughs> <laughs> and Johanna was terrified, <laughs> you know, that she really had to do good. Uh, so I think in the editing room, we had that in our minds at all time, but uh, Tony didn't uh, see it until it was finished. Yeah. You know, so. and, and her response or what did she say? Uh, I took her, took the film to show it to her, and and we watched it together. And she said, "I like her." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So revealing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and over the summer, it was playing around the country, so people would call her and say, "I just saw that Tony, and it was so wonderful." And yeah. I think she got a lot of a big kick out of that. You know, the timing of you know uh, the documentary and it being available to all of us and now she's not with us anymore. Um, uh, like you mentioned, a huge loss, a big voice that's been lost. And, and uh, much of her work spans and covers very important parts of American history and movements, big movements, of course, you know, civil rights movement, um, women's rights. And 
and and now, like, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not even really sure how to articulate what movement we're in, but we're in a very, <laughs> you know, time. And so, what do you think? And and even answer it for yourself, since you, you director of the film, but kind of what this would cover, like what what voice. Um, she wanted to leave behind not just remembering her and her work but where we go from here you know i think uh, tony's work covers four centuries mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me so it's four centuries uh that she kind of goes in and out of and uh, through time and space in a kind of way only in a way that only tony morrison can do um I, I, you know, I think the themes that she brought to it, our attention are as important today in 2019 as they were in 1970, um, especially with the kind of state of the politics of the world today. Uh, Tony saw all that coming, I think. I think she understood it. She was very astute about politics and could read the tea leaves very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish we had her here with us <laughs> yeah. at this very precarious moment uh, in our democracy. You know. Speaking of possible absence of her, uh, what if she had never, let's not say not existed, but let's say she had not gone into writing. Do you think, God. I mean, were there any other candidates who could have gotten some of these themes and gotten them as widely popular and, 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 and read and, and, and ingested I, in this. It's thing. just a fantasy question. Yeah, it I, is. It I, is. I, I don't know. I mean, does anyone here have a thought on that? I mean, <laughs> it's a, it's, uh, I think Tony was destined to be that person. Right person, you know, I right think time. so. I think so. Um, she had all of the tan- talent to do it. She had the, 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 the ability to do the research. She had the, the, ability to kind of be critical about her own work. She, she had extraordinary uh, elasticity with, 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 lit- with words. I mean, her, her, I, I, once, um, I always felt it was very poetic the way she wrote. Mm-hmm. And when I asked her to, to sign this release that says she would agree to do the film, I kept it very short and I said, uh, you know, you'll give us access to your archives and your books and your audio tapes and your poetry and this and that. And she read it and she took a pencil and she crossed off poetry and she said, I don't write poetry. Really? And I thought it was so, you know, fascinating to me uh, because I see the way she writes is poetic, but it's not poetry to her uh, at all. Uh, you know, and, and Tony was, was not just writing book she wrote two plays you know she wrote an opera she she tried everything she could she was so open that way and again confident that she could do it uh we we asked everyone to bring his or her favorite book of tony's to the uh interviews and angela davis brought the play desdemona which really surprised me because i thought what book would she bring and out of the blue, she's got Desdemona. And she said it was the most moving experience she'd ever had in her life to watch that play. Wow. Yeah. Not the most moving experience she's had at a play. No. The most moving in her life. In, in her, her life. life, she said. And we have that in the Peter Sellers section on Desdemona and Shakespeare. <laughs> so you get to watch that. There were, you know, 
so many interesting uh, pieces that we couldn't put in the film. I, rem I remember uh, Tony lived in this wonderful house on the Hudson River, and you see it, those of you who have seen the film, you see it throughout the film in different seasons, and it's uh, kind of the center of her, where she wrote. Uh, and I asked her about that house, and she said that she was kind of trying to buy a house and get the money to do it, and she found this house, and it had, was for sale, but it said, you know, it, it, was in, it was in contract. So she called the owner and said, you know, if it falls apart, I will meet your price. I really would like to buy this house. And then she sat in her car outside in front and talked to the house for an hour. <laughs> and she said, if you really want me, you have to make this happen. Wow. Yeah. I just love that story. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. Um, that's a really interesting question that John had asked because in the film, many speak openly about not even understanding the criticism that she had faced because it always had seemed like you know her writing was um, well ahead of of the time and and people really had had to sit. I, I mean, I even think that you think that her work is still ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. And uh, but you know what? what <laughs> I mean, let's talk a little bit about just the, the controversy that surrounds Toni Morrison or why people might feel that even when she, you know, won the Nobel. Like, that wasn't – it wasn't like everybody was excited about it. I think it's racism and misogyny. You know, it's very simple, really. Um, and here was a powerful black woman um, center stage that – uh, up, upset uh, the apple cart, you know. It was this was too much for some people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you know, you in the film we show reviews that that, that Tony got that were just horrifying. I mean, just unbelievable that the people would write this. Um, and she kind of just kept going. I think she knew that she had to ignore it. I don't think it's easy to ignore it. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't easy. Yeah, but as she know. says, she also knew she was good. Yes, she was a good writer. I, I, you know, I think th that. Uh, but there are people who attacked her writing as sure. well. So, but still, you, you know, the books were selling at least at that point. So there was an audience, and um, uh, yeah, it was uh, very difficult to deal with that criticism. I think it is, it, as any artist will tell you, it's difficult to deal with criticism. Mm -hmm. You think so much of what you're doing is important, and then some critic who doesn't know shit <laughs> criticizes it. Um, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, I feel that way when people don't like my work. So. <laughs> well, I mean, the film is incredible. It's a, it's a gift, so thank you. I mean, I can't even imagine if we didn't have it, and, uh, and then she passed, and then, you know, I wonder if it weren't you uh, who would have picked it up or, you know, who we wouldn't have her to go to and ask, like, can we, can we do, can we do this and then have her be a part of it? Um, mm -hmm. I, I do want to, you know, talk about her winning the Nobel. Um, I think that was a really important as we start ending the film, just because even through all the criticism and, and what people were saying, I mean, she really did feel that, 
you know, she should be awarded with, well, <laughs> with there, this big there's a, recognition. There's a part in the film where 48 black writers wrote a letter to the New York Times complaining that uh, Toni Morrison has been ignored. This is just outrageous. This is one of our greatest writers. And how is this possible? So they ha- that had to happen. I mean, it was just amazing that that needed to be done, but they did it. Um, and I think that maybe started to make people be a little more conscious of the fact that there was this big error here and how important her work was. Um, you know, she broke open the canon in a sense that she, she, it was a uh, very white male, it was Faulkner and it was Hemingway, you know, and it was kind of the, uh, uh, those kind of writers who were the important writers and, Tony said, no, it's everybody. You know, it's a much bigger world. Wow. <laughs> oh, um, I think you, I think you, can, you yeah. can't uh, under... You can't uh, overstate how important she was. Right. You know, I think she's an artist with a capital A, that there's just something extraordinary about this life and this work and um, what she gave us all. I know we talked about that. It's going to be so hard. Even we, there are no words um, to. There are a lot of words, and she probably mm-hmm. know all the words, and she would say it much more beautifully yeah. than we could ever. Uh, now's the time in which we open up questions to the audience for our guests. So if you have a question for Timothy, we'll take them. And uh, John's going to walk around with the mic. We'll start right here. Yeah, I wonder what black writers influenced her. I mean, I think of Nora. Um, um, Hurston. Hurston, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tony talks about that. I think that she was influenced by everyone. You know, I don't think just black writers. I think she was, uh, you know, she wrote her masters in, on, in uh, Faulkner and, and, and Joyce. Am I getting this right? I think so. Anyone want to correct me here? Um, so, she, you know, Tony was a very broad, broad Catholic reader, as they say, uh, uh, in her. And, and I think even very young, she read a lot. You know, there's you've met kids who just are so extraordinarily <laughs> well-read. Tony was one of those kids for sure. Did, when you got together with her, just socially, did you talk books? That's all we talked about—just really? deep, deep talks about books. No, <laughs> no, no, no. We had fun. I mean, t- Tony was fun. That was the thing that I think it comes through in this film. This is an extraordinarily uh, warm person who liked to have fun. I mean, you know, when we when we went to her finally to kind of say this is going to be a film and I brought the head of American Masters with me we had lunch and then it was about 2.30 and she said well let's, let's have some vodka shots <laughs> <laughs> so, so we you know we had a wonderful afternoon yeah. with, you know uh, Tony was that kind of person uh, when she when you were in that inner circle yeah yeah <laughs> would have loved to have seen that scene in the movie <laughs> <laughs> any other questions right in, oh Come back. Have a big voice if you <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's make sure we get it in the recording here. <laughs> Thank you, and welcome, Mr. Saunders. Thank you. Um, in your depth of exploration of the persona 
Toni Morrison, what did you find, if there was a single one, that was her strongest suit, indeed her Trump suit, for dealing with the response to her stigma throughout her life? Wow, that's a good question. You know, I think she had a very, very uh, important sense of humanity, that she really understood the human condition. And I think she kept that in mind at all times, if, if that answers the question. I think, you know, Tony was able to kind of put it all together and, 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 be, and have a perspective on what was happening to her, what it meant in, at this moment, what it would mean later. She was a, a very big thinker that way. Um, and I don't think everyone has that talent. I think it's an extraordinary thing to be able to do. Um, I think she understood when she was at Random House how important those books would be, that she was creating the literature for the black studies programs of the future, that you know, she could see that w was a need for that and she was going to do it. So these are big ideas. I think she always operated on that level. What do you know about her death? Uh, she died. Uh, on August 5th, uh, you know, she'd been ill for a while. She, um, uh, I didn't imagine it would happen this soon. I mean, I was sh uh, surprised, but it was, she was 88 and had high blood pressure and, you know, stuff like that. We all think we're going to live forever. I'm planning to. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, thank you so much for what you gave us to have that block of time with the breadth and depth and perspective. There were so many lovely, humorous. Her friendship with Fran Lebowitz yeah, blew me out of the water. That I just, <laughs> I told my friends, you were not going to believe who Toni Morrison right. was buddies with. It was great. <laughs> um, so many things. But one of the things I was most struck by is when she gets paid at Random House and goes in and says, no, no, not little girl pin money. Right. You know, I want the same money. Um, do you have anything more to add to that? That that was incredible, and I wish it had been publicized so much sooner. So thank you again. Yes, Tony in the film says, no buts. The guy says, I can't pay you but because of, and she goes, no buts. You know, I, I am head of household just like you, mm -hmm. is the line she used. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, uh, you know, I think coming from Tony, well, okay, <laughs> I think you have to kind of uh, really understand that she means it. Um, I, I, I've noticed in, in a lot of screenings that a lot of women in particular have watched that scene and I can see they're internalizing it and you're going to use that same line because... Of course, you know, she's, she was so many years ahead of us uh, with that. But, but that, was, that was who she was, you know. And I love that also that section talks about how she wasn't particularly in at all intimidated by the white male world around Random House. She said, I was more interesting than they were. And I knew it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a wonderful moment. It gets a big laugh in the film. But, but it's very true as well. Uh, you know, she juggled her single being a single mother with this job, with writing at the same time, getting up at five o'clock before the sun, as she said, 
to write because that was the little the time she had before her children woke up where she could be writing. And Angela Davis talks about her always writing little scribbling notes and things as she's in a car or, you know, cooking breakfast. And those became the books, those little notes. So it's a kind of wonderful insight into the way she writes um, and the kind of the friendships that she had. You know, the, Fran Leibowitz is, of course, the comic relief of this film. Um, Fran told a story that wasn't in the film, but that she, that she and Tony would go to the Angelica Theater all the time to watch films, and they'd stand in line. And some woman said to them at one point, I see you here all the time. Are you related? <laughs> and Fran said, yes, she's my son. <laughs> I wanted to put that in the film, but... Uh, you know, they, t- Tony adored her, and they, I think they went on book tours together and did a kind of, a lot of, you know talks and stuff were very very popular great sir uh from a personal perspective what's your uh, most favorite writing of tony morrison and oh. what do you believe is her most impactful writing to society it's a, it's a great question we asked it um to many of the interviewees fran Leibowitz said well, her favorite book, let's see. No, I won't answer that. There's no favorite book. They're all great. So, you know, I, I think it's very hard to say what's a favorite book for me. I think when people ask me what's my favorite portrait that I've taken or my favorite film, I don't, I don't look at it that way. I look at kind of the body of work that I've created. So I think for Tony, certainly Beloved is... Uh, a, a go-to for you know the, one of the greatest novels of all time, but I also think other, it's it's a body of work that is connected. Uh, that's what's so important through, from Toni Morrison. Are we well, out of questions? We can add a little bit more yep. time in a little bit if you want to think about your questions, um, but we'll continue, John and I. How did, this is another, probably another big, hard-loaded question to answer, but, I mean, how did she change your life aside from you, you know, the friendship? And, uh, and I think where I'm going with that is if she did so much, um, and, and also addressing, you know, America and America's racist history and mm. you as a white guy. Right. How did she change your life? I think Tony was one of the, if not the most important people, one of the most important people that I've ever met at, in terms of my own life. So that she inspired me that, that I did, as I said earlier, a whole series of films from an idea that Tony had at our, at our table together uh, nine films. Um, you know, I think she always gave me a sense of the importance of identity and the importance of kind of understanding everyone's point of view and trying to be aware as a, as a person. Um, you know, I think she probably saw something in me that she, she liked. She, she certainly, um, enjoyed our we enjoyed our time together our photo sessions were really fun in a sense you know that you you relish those good those good moments with with certain people um 
it's it's you know I think some things are destined, and I think it was that this long friendship and the result being this film was something that I was probably here to do in in a sense uh, that that it was it all kind of fell into place and maybe tony knew it all along <laughs> you know um it's it's hard to know but but she you know she could so easily have said no to me and not done it and not bothered with it and and she knew what it, what it would mean to take that on and she said yes so i'm very grateful to her well i'm glad she did it and that you were able to do the film frankly before she passed yeah because you know you can always do the film afterward, and you're still talking to these people. But it's to have her not the same. at you know this stage of her career and all that accomplishment, talking like you say, talking directly to the camera and and explaining her life, her history, her role, her interpretation of all of these things, really I, I think makes it a unique. You know, one of the things that was so valuable just. That she was there, that we could go to her and say, "Is this really your great grandfather? This photograph? Who is this person? Yeah. You know, um, I need you. I don't have you saying the following. I need you to say these two or three words because we need that to connect this." So we would go back with an audio uh, cassette player, you know, and just kind of get a word or two when we needed it. Um, that's very, very fortunate that she was there to help us that way. Um, you know, she she had when she decided to trust you, she trusted you. Yeah, that was kind of the way she was very good at at picking people. I think, and she and you can see from her friends, the you know the kind of level of <coughs> intellect and and what these people have given to the world that these were, you know, wise choices. Uh, d- talking about just kind of you know, putting the film together and she being there. Let's talk about everything else that makes a film, such as the score, music. <laughs> Catherine Bostick uh, scored the film. It's an extraordinary score. She just got nominated yesterday for two F- Music Society Awards for this film and f- another one she's been working on. Uh, she wrote the end song that she sings, um, high above the water. Uh, when, I, when I called her up just out of the blue and said, you know, I'm doing this film with Toni Morrison, would you be interested? And she said, I'm getting goosebumps. And and that was really the, the, the reaction we got from everyone. That, that If you've seen the film, there's 50-something images by African-American artists that are in the film, from Charles White to Jacob Lawrence to Carol Walker to... Carrie James Marshall, all of these great artists, and all of them were eager to s- allow us to use their work in the film, because I think Tony meant so much to them, that the, and and it was also a way to bring this art into the film, which, which I hadn't really seen in documentaries, the way th- using a painting instead of a photograph, or a painting instead of a video, an old clip or something just to sit on a painting of Charles White for a moment while something's being said. It worked so beautifully. Um, I think it meant a lot to these artists to be part of, give back to Tony in that sense. And the opening uh, montage is by Micheline Thomas. And uh, we gave her all this material. And you know, I called her up and said, would you do it? She said, I'm in, like that. And she gave this this magnificent opening with her hands kind of putting together a collage of Tony's face 
uh, as she st- from an early picture in college to her today. You know, uh, it's a wonderful opening. You mentioned in all the time it took to prepare to put this together. That included, you know, finding financing. You've done a lot of films. Was this easier, more difficult to get financing? And did the financing come from people who had re- some resonance with Toni Morrison, or it was a kind of a business decision? Yeah, we think this will be successful. We'll put some money into it. No, I think the f- financing was relatively easy once I got to the right person. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, American Masters was very excited to do it. Um, it was complicated to to finance, but you know, I I knew we we would get it done. Yeah. And and um, there hadn't been a film on Tony. There hadn't been anything important like this. So and she was still with us. So I think there was an urgency uh, as well. Now you had a screening of it here in San Francisco last night at the Embarcadero. You're headed to L.A. next. Tomorrow, t- tomorrow, tonight <laughs> is the Museum of Tolerance screening. Uh, Quincy Jones is introducing the film, and Janet Mock is doing the Q and A afterwards. Great. So uh, I'm off to the airport in a few minutes. <laughs> and for our listeners who are outside of this room or are listening to our podcast or on the online, uh, are, are you touring with it? Are there other places people will be able to see it? The film is on Hulu okay. right now. If you're traveling, it's on Delta and American Airlines, <laughs> as far as I know. Um, uh, and I think it's, is it on Amazon as well? It's on Amazon as well. So it's available. And then it will be in June of 2020, it'll be on American Masters okay. on PBS. So it's, it's definitely something you could, you could see. We will start winding down, so if anybody had a question you didn't get a chance to ask, um, we'll take them now, or we'll start uh, asking our last questions. Anyone? Oh, we have one back here. I'm just curious. Uh, wait, wait for the mic, please. That's okay. I'm just curious, given the numerous issues you've been having the last few, has she ever expressed any strong feeling or criticism, not that it's against something or someone or an issue or a film? or Is there anything you can think of that she may have expressed a, a, a criticism or negative reaction towards something in the recent past? No, nothing that really comes to mind. I mean, I think, um, you know, most of the last few years with Tony have been around the making of the film and interviewing her about her life. So it's been, um, and being with her and kind of talking about stuff like that. So, you know, she's certainly has the TV on all the time, watching what's going on. She's very was very conscious of the day-to-day politics. Um, but I don't think I can answer that question adequately, no. Thank you. Uh, though that does kind of get to the fun question of, she has the TV on. What, I mean, uh, don't, I'm not asking confidential insight. Agatha here, Christie. I mean, <laughs> did, did she like to watch mysteries? Is that... <laughs> Tony liked, uh, she liked mysteries, I think, a lot, you know, particularly around uh, the kind of uh, 20s and 30s period. And I think it's because she, you know, she grew up in that world and kind of knew that furniture and knew the clothing. And I mean, I'm just guessing, but I know she, she, she liked stuff like that, you know. <laughs> 
Uh, you mentioned Janet Mock. Yes. And, and, the, and I know that, you know, she worked with Janet. You did. You yes. both did uh, with the translist. I'd love to hear um, just from you, like, kind of the project and, and the importance of also being inclusive in her life. You know, uh, Janet Mock sat for the Outlist. She was the T and the LGBT of the Outlist. And um, we became friends. And through that friendship, the idea of doing the translist came about. And she did the interviews for the translist and helped, you know, because I, I did so much, I felt she was a producer. She was a producer on it as well. Um, she was extraordinarily important influenced by Tony. And she talks about Sula being one of the most important books of her life, uh, changing her life. So it'll be interesting to see t- uh, tonight <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what the Q&A uh, results in. But, you know, uh, again, here's a, a, a African-American trans woman from Hawaii who's influenced by Toni Morrison, you know. And uh, a youngish woman, a young woman. I mean, I won't say youngish, a young woman, Janet. So um, Tony's Tony's influence is so broad, so uh, worldwide. Yeah. And and as you're going around doing these talks and screenings, is that kind of the main feedback you're getting from people saying, just wanting to share their connection with I think half the audience is people who are, readers of Tony who are so connected that way and and the and this film has been able to make them feel closer to her somehow that they have a connection because of the work mm-hmm. but the film is the person and there's a kind of joy in that in being able to kind of feel like you know her better last question for you is about the uh, it's about the part in the film in which um, she reviews, you know, her teaching style and and <laughs> basically telling her students not to talk about their not, their not little the, life, not to write about their little life because <laughs> they don't know anything. She says, <laughs> <laughs> but to, to write in the perspective of she wants them to imagine instead and to try and she she would she talked in the film about giving them an assignment of you know you're a a Latino counter girl in Houston and write about that. Uh, and that she was surprised and thrilled by the kind of creativity that came out of them that way. Uh, that she, and she talks about how you're always told to write from what you know, and she says, don't write from what you know because you don't know anything. Write, you know, be imaginative instead. And that was such a surprise, I think, for so many people to, to write from that perspective. Yeah, which can be translated again to not just if you're a student in her writing class, but... Right a student of life and human connection, which right. uh, you do very beautifully at the very end. Um, and, and what she had to say mm-hmm. of a connection of, you know, the, uh, you're going to say it much better than I can, but I loved, I loved it. I loved that, you know, her hand went up and she's describing. I don't want to give away the ending of the film. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a moment that she talks about an experience she had in an art exhibition that she then connects to her, her the way she feels her writing connects to you. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's just a gorgeous, short, you know, kind of statement that's, she did it like that off the, off the top of her head, but it's so elegantly poetic and 
also makes you kind of understand her perspective in writing. It's just a beautiful... You have to see the film now to, to, to watch that moment. Yeah. Timothy, I'm, I'm curious, why documentaries? Why is that... I mean, you, you've made a, a lot of them. Why is that the, the, the medium in which you, you find it best to tell these stories about people and to reveal them? You know, I started out as a filmmaker. I went to the American Film Institute, and it was there that I became interested in portraiture. Uh, that's a whole other... Uh, podcast about Betty Davis and Alfred Hitchcock and how I learned to to take portraits. Wow. Um, But I always was a filmmaker. So years later, when I became successful as a photographer, I started to kind of think about film again. And because I always loved documentaries. There was something about them that I felt I could do them. There was, I understood the equipment. I understood the construction of them. Um, I had ideas I wanted to put out there. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's 13 films now with the Tony film. She's the lucky 13. Lucky 13. Lucky and, 13. And, and you mentioned this before the interview, but uh, all that you're focusing on right now is Tony. Yeah. I, 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 people ask me what's next, and I, and I say I'm not thinking about what's next. For the first time in my life, I want to take a week off. <laughs> I want to kind of – I want to try and think about – I'm 67 years old. What do I want to do with the few years I have left to kind of... These are important choices. What do I want to do with that time? So I'm not rushing any into anything. I have a lot of ideas and projects, but I want it to be really well chosen. Well, uh, if you're following me, what I was trying to do is end our talk on the note that you should see the documentary if you haven't done so. And if you did, watch it again, especially the end, because I think that that is a beautiful message in life um, and that message will carry on for generations and generations. Uh, Even people who've never met Tony or won't know of her work will know how beautiful of a human being she was. Tim, thank you so much for being here with us at the Commonwealth Club. Thank you. And thank you all for coming here and being here with us. Um, We have another program. We have two more programs left before the end of the year. So this Sunday we're doing Addressing Trauma in the Asian American Community. Um, One of the panelists is Helen Zia, award-winning journalist, uh, who broke a huge story, the Vincent Chin story. Um, And then we end the year December 17th. It's also a party, an annual party that we do for the Michelle Miao Show program here. And the guest speaker for that program is Robin Crawford, who just released her memoir. And we'll discuss uh, her relationship with Whitney Houston as well as um, uh, more memories. But yes, Whitney Houston. So I hope you'll join us and come back again for the full listing of all of our programs that we do here for the Michelle Miao Show. You can go to commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. We'll see you next time. That was great. Thanks for joining us for the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. We're here every Thursday live at the Commonwealth Club, and you can listen to past shows at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS.